Hey, fam. Welcome back to Dylan Friends Podcast. How exciting. Thanks so much for coming back. I love you so much. Hey, before you listen to the show, once you enjoy this one, you laugh, you love, you live, you laugh, and you have a great time listening to this episode, and you learn, and we all become friends, and I love you. Have a listen to the Bromley Lynch podcast, another one of our ones at Producey. We love it. We love the boys. They're doing incredible things. Wake up with them. They're battery chargers. They're good guys. I love them. Here's a little snippet of their episodes. I like cut him off and I like see him coming. I'm like, stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. No. And he stops. He's like, yep, yep, you got me. Yep, <laughs> yep. And then all of a sudden, so I'm the good cop. I'm the teacher. I can sort of, yeah. I think I can talk and relate to kids all yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm chatting to him. I'm like, not on, mate. Not on. That is silly. Silly yeah. behaviour. Yeah. And then you come down. I'm like, I'm like, Sam, got him. Got him. Come to the voice. Come to the voice. And so all of a sudden, Sam comes in and he's like to the kid. That's fucking bullshit, mate. That is absolutely wrong. I was just like, do you know how hard people work to come and live and, and holiday here? And you're coming and stealing while they're not here? Yeah, it was a valid point. And I was giving him a bit of a dressing so, down. So there it is. Enjoy it. Episodes drop weekly on Mondays. Battery charges. Love the boys. Have a listen and search on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else you get your podcast. Bromley Lynch. That's Bromley Lynch with a B and an L. Welcome back, guys. This week's episode with Christian O'Connell. Wow, what an episode. What a guy. What a man. What a time. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, really enjoyed this chat. So Christian O'Connell, one of the most iconic all-time radio DJs um, globally. He's from London. He's from the UK. Uh, he worked over there for 20 years. Had an incredible story about um, you know working in the, the radio industry, how to perform at the best level, how to put a good production together, how to also go from one industry to another. He always had a dream of working as a stand-up comedian. He also had a dream of working his radio but was working in sales and had to make a dramatic change in his life to do it. And I think we, we, we can talk about this a lot, but he gives such a good step-by-step and, and such a case of how you can do this and how it is possible to do, be living in a, in a life that you really do desire. And, yeah, just really admire his story and how he's been able to do what he's done because it's, it is incredible, always putting himself out of his comfort zone and obviously – crediting a lot of that to his his um his wife and his support network that's been super um impactful on him but yeah incredible guy incredible story and also opens up on 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 his journey with mental health he he um you know had a a, a long uh he had a long history with with panic attacks and and was experiencing some really severe anxiety whilst getting towards the end of his career in um the UK which then forced um, upon changed him to move to Melbourne and start his other radio station here, the Christian O'Connell Show on Gold 104.3, um, which is absolutely dominating the airwaves, works with our great friend Jack Post as well on on radio. And just such a – as soon as he walked in, he's just unbelievable performer, unbelievable storyteller. Um, and, yeah, literally could have spoke to him for literally five hours um, and not even known the time flowing by. So hope you enjoy this chat. There's so much to get out of it, both funny, emotionally, um, laughing, everything. So great guy. Hope you enjoy the chat. Illy XX, let's go. Hi, fam. It's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friends. I was like, you can embarrass yourself? And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Bit arrogant. Didn't know all seven. <laughs> I've been in a bad team for 10 years, and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy. They had no other way to get out of the cave, and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. 
<laughs> we're um, recording, by the way, now. We're just jumping straight in. Yeah, yeah, That's great. what we do. So mm. you, when you bought that, by the way, you were saying £115, you had no money. No, no. When I went my wife and when we got married. How old were you at that stage? When did I get married? I was 25, so quite yeah. young, actually. So we've yeah. married 24 years. So, yeah. yeah, my wife was a lawyer. I had a crappy job wearing a headset in tele sales with dreams of um, becoming a stand-up or working in radio. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had to borrow the money for a wedding suit for my own wife. I mean, how embarrassing. Oh. I can't believe she still thought that was okay. And now I've got two daughters. My <laughs> oldest daughter's one turn 18. If she brought home a guy who couldn't afford his own wedding suit, you're not getting married. Would you have some empathy for him now, knowing what you no. know? <laughs> All empathy goes out the window yeah. when you're a dad to daughters. Yeah. I, I am like my, I'm, you know, it's like all empathy just goes out the door when yeah. you have daughters. Here. How old are your daughters at the moment? Uh, my eldest just turned 18 and my youngest turned 16 this year. Love it. Big years. Really big years. Really What's going big on? Years. And you, you sort of, when you have daughters at, the, at this kind of age, it's so interesting because obviously you're witnessing all these big changes they're going through. And it's far more challenging for them to be a teenager than when we were teenagers. I mean, that's only a couple of years ago for you, but it's a lot longer for me because phones and the pressures on them now to fit in or level up to the filter world, which isn't real, but it feels yeah. real. Yeah. Um, we didn't have that. When, when I was a child of the 80s, so luckily we didn't have that. It was a lot simpler time. So I'm, I think I grew up being a teenager in an easier time. So they've got all these pressures and demands. But then I'm also re-experiencing all that insecurity when you're 16 to 18 about who am I? And you think you've got to work it all out. It's too big a question, isn't it? Who am I? What You think you've got to work out all of your life. And you feel like any decision you make, school grades, whatever, your life, your future life is so brittle, one bum grade yeah. is going to ruin the rest of your life. Like, it's so not about what's going on in your school. No, it's, it's so hard to explain that. I, I think, in, like, I had a, a question the other day. Someone said to me, if you could go back and give yourself one bit of advice, what would it be? Like, as a as a 16-year-old to 18-year-old Yeah, yeah, kid, what would you say? I would say try and, f- try and experience as much adversity as you can at a young age. Because for me, looking back now, and it got to a pivotal point for me when I was probably, like, 26, like, around that age, where... Nothing bad had ever happened to me. I'd got everything I wanted. Yeah. Everyone told me I was a legend. You know, every team I went for, I got into. Anything I wanted to do, I did. And I just hadn't experienced someone saying no or like, you can't do this and yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, proper struggle. Proper uh, struggle. Yeah. And I think, it. you know, I, I don't know if you follow footy anymore, but it comes mm. back to like a rookie analogy or a rookie in life where normally the people that have sort of faced a bit of struggle or adversity earlier in life, they have more gratitude for situations. I know they can work harder for things and it actually happens. So I'm not saying to people go out there and fucking be fired and stuff, but make mistakes. Go out and make as many mistakes as you can as early yeah, as you can it's and a learn those point. lessons. It's, it's also just about pushing yourself into areas of being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Right? And and people are happy to do that, say, when it comes to fitness, right? They're happy to go and sort of work out for a bit with a trainer or whatever and get uncomfortable that way. They're not very good at doing it in other areas because mm. with fitness, you can control it. You are uncomfortable, okay? It's going to be hard work in the short term to work out and level and you know and change to get fitter and stronger and all the rest of it but they don't want to do that in other areas of their life when it comes to their emotions or stuff where they really feel it's challenging and yet if you talk to anyone you will struggle in life right and 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 it, it, it's there for a reason is to teach you something is to show you something you need to learn or that you need to heal in parts of yourself i love talking to people right about the struggles they've had in their life because Whatever struggle you had, some people have had awful struggles, you would have, there's a gift in it. In that darkness, there's a real gift for you. And it changes who you are in that moment. 
Life is about 5% what happens to us. The other 95% is what you do with that. And I kind of find that what's more interesting than talking about that? That's amazing, isn't it? I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. We, um, we joke around a lot. I'm really lucky. I work with incredible people and great friends and, and we always push each other to be our best. And we sort of joke around and say um, stupid quotes each morning to, to pump each other up. And this morning I actually saw one. You know there's those really cringy quotes but you really like But them. some of them are land. Some of them they? are so yes. – that, it's like that actually <laughs> makes sense. And it talks about when – and again <laughs> – there's going to be a lot of topics that we cover today in this show, and mm-hmm. and and your story is is incredibly inspirational. Um, it's incredibly funny and and so incredible what you've been able to do. But also, there's another side to that which I can't wait to tap into. But this was talking about this quote. Um, was talking about when you're at your lowest, and people goes goes, oh, it's very dark when you're at your lowest. And it said a way to experience that is not thinking that you're buried, but thinking that you're a seed and you're about to sprout. And I really liked it. That was a quote that we went through. It's today. a beautiful image, isn't it? Yeah. Unprofessional. Oh, no. <laughs> that, that wouldn't one. happen. I mean, that wouldn't happen on the Christian radio. Show, um, no. happen on my watch. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you say you push each other to, to, to the max. Like, that is shocking. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, podcasting. What do you expect? Yeah, I oh, know. Dylan and oh, friends. Yeah, we're shit ass. Hey, it's okay. No, it's shit ass. I apologise. It's not good enough. Um, but, hey, today, let's get into your story. I want to know um, everything about you. I cannot thank you enough for your time, mate. I really do appreciate oh, no, it. So I'm happy to be on. Yeah. I'm, I'm in awe of your setup, and what yeah. you've done here. So you're thank enjoying you. this because, like, your life, you've had these zigzags. Yeah. Right? I was, I was doing a talk the other day to kids, and they just want to know, how do I get from here to there? I want to go and be a, an influencer or, or content creator. Mm. You understand, it, it doesn't work like that, and it shouldn't work like that. You need – it's like sometimes you look back at your life and like, oh, now I understand – but I was so upset at the time I didn't get that or that didn't happen or I got sacked or they didn't give me that job and I thought I was the right person for it. But it led you somewhere else where you should be. And you kind of look at these zigzags and you can only look at them going back. You don't see it at the time, but you yeah. join the dots and you realise, okay, actually I'm right where I need to be. But you, I'm interested in your story because you've had all these – you were a footy star and now you're doing this. <laughs> well, you know, Why? I de- definitely wasn't a footy star. But well, I think um, – this show's about you, by the way. But the, the famous – quote that you just said before about it's not what happens to you, to you it's mm-hmm. how you react to it. I don't have tattoo. Actually, that's a lie of a toast sleeve that was a drunken night one night and we just got the tattoo gun out. But I don't have any quoted tattoos. If I had tattoo one- Tattoo guns should have breathalyzer on. They should. You know, seriously, you need to blow into it. And if you're over sort of a certain point- I think that's all the fun though. You, <laughs> you, you, you definitely should be allowed to get them. And that's, you know, the best things happen when we sometimes regret them because we learn from them. Yeah. But if I could get a quote tattooed on my forehead, as you can see, there's a fair bit of room up there. So it could be a long one. And might have you been more You wouldn't be able to than... see it though. Because you're going to have to go in the mirror every time yeah. to get wisdom. <laughs> true, true. It's more for other people though. Yes. But it's, it is that quote. It's so it's like a, uh, a billboard. So basically, it, it, you're a walking bill, a soul billboard. It to really is, to yeah, be honest. What a that, lovely thing you're going to do. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And there's a fair bit of room for them to advertise. So I'm not discriminating against it. Why don't you give it away to sponsors? We, we have. You know, like you have F1 drivers. You could just have various tattoos all over your head. <laughs> we could do that. We will look into it. Some sort of like form of an NFT or something. Yes. Um, but the quote would be it's not what happens, it's how you react to it. I've found that, like yourself. Every but it's really hard. When you're really in it, right, that's just bullshit. When you're really, really struggling, right, it is so hard because you all you all everything you see, you imagine, you're rehearsing uh, future failure, aren't mm. you, when you really are in, in a dark spot, which is what will happen to everyone. It's very hard. Those, those sayings and phrases are 
They are. They're really powerful. Mm. They're really potent to people. But it's very, very hard when you're really in it because you lose hope and you lose sight of your own horizon. You don't know any sense of like where you are on it. You don't know whether you're at the beginning, the middle or the end. It feels constant and everywhere. The beauty of those moments, and and again, I'm speaking on my perspective because when you talk about these things, it's very hard to give, not advice, it's more just giving my perspective because I, I don't know what anyone else has been through. Everyone's got their own journey in these spaces. But for me, I found when I am in those moments of, um, adversity, there's some hardship and you're really stressed. The beauty of it is for me that it actually simplifies your life and you could have a million things going on, but it goes to you, fuck, these are the things that are important right now. This is what I need to do. And when when you're going well and things are flying, there's so many options all the time, there's shit that you need to do. There's yeah, it's all possibility, on. isn't it? It's possibility. Yeah, yeah. But when you're maybe a little bit down in the dumps or there's things that you need to get done, you go, all right, fuck, these, this is it. There's one way to do it and this is what I need to do. So I think from that and listening to podcasts, like, you know, people like yourself and hearing your story around your life change going from working in sales going, fuck this, I'm going to take a 60% pay cut and get into radio because that's my dream, that inspires me. Those that that inspires me to go. I need to do this. I need to make change like this, and I need to take action. Yeah, there's a lot for what you said. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Simplifying it is everything. Yeah, we live in a very noisy, overwhelming, complicated world. That is, there's too much thought, too many ideas, mm. too much content. Have you watched this? You need to check this out. You need to buy this. You need to think this. You need to 10x this. It's all constant. So actually. The, the, the most important thing to do is simplify it all, to slow it all down. Actually, when you are struggling, that's the most important thing to do mm. is actually get out of bed, go and have a shower, go for a walk. It's really simple stuff. Now, Tony Robbins can't do a five-day seminar no. about um, going for a walk. Yeah. Go for a walk for 10 minutes. <laughs> that's it. End of today's seminar. But sometimes actually going for a walk for 20 minutes or half an hour, you feel a little bit better. People still want the silver bullet that's going to make them feel better. It's often a combination of what looks like on paper, really dull advice. There's no magic way about thinking a problem. There's too much thought and there's too much thinking around the thinking. There's a lot to be said for slowing it down and underthinking. That's mm. what we need more of. I think we're, we're in an age as well where, because we are getting so much information, and, and this isn't um, a knock at anyone like this, but we, we have a lot of people that are doing the best they can from their experience and turning somewhat into like life coaches and there's a lot of advice we're getting about how to oh be my happy. God, my Insta- Instagram, it, it's all that, it, isn't it? It's crazy, it's like, which which is great, but at the end of the day... There's, no, there's too many people who are doing it now to make money Yeah, and they're moving into a lot of real estate. There's a lot of people looking for answers. We want leaders, don't yeah. we? Because actually our elected leaders, we found, and probably they always were, aren't actually leaders. We mm. need proper leaders for us. And actually what, in life, the only leader there really is, is, is you. You're going to have to do your own work ultimately. Mm. You can read a saying, but no one's going to walk you into your life or walk you back into your, your strengths, your power. Mm. Um, you've got to do that yourself. Yeah. That's the hardest journey you really, you know, journey's another overword overused word but actually it there's no better word to describe that we're on a journey in life you're born we know how it's going to end but within that journey there is a journey where you have to come back into who you really are and people find that so hard because we're scared of showing who we really are Mm. Mm. let's talk about your story growing up in england in the uk Mm -hmm. i always get we we were just in london in uk england i was uh we were over there for two weeks went to london of course yeah went to scotland for the for the open you sure can win saw cam win amazing unbelievable i think he's just uh checked in a little bit of a paycheck today apparently apparently, yeah it's hard to say no to a hundred mil um over to live but yeah i was in the the uk with sam we went over there incredible place 
What's it been like for you moving here? Uh, being not, like, lots of differences, yeah. you know, and I now consider Australia home. Yeah, Australia's home, Melbourne's home. I, awesome. it, it won't, England will always be home. It's yeah. where I grew up. But when I left four years ago, I went back this Easter to see mum and dad and all my friends first time in three years. Where, where from? In- I'm Well, I lived the last sort of 30 years, obviously London, around yeah. London. But I'm where about? Uh, I lived in just outside London. I moved out. Well, my radio station was right in the middle of Soho. So yeah. right in the middle of the Oh, action. wow. You lived in oh, the Soho. so great. Wow. Uh, no, that's where I worked. So yeah. I couldn't live in Soho. Yeah. No, it's too noisy. It's crazy. So yeah. I lived about an hour outside. Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't miss London. I miss my family and friends. I don't miss London. I did that for a lot of my life, and it's nice having somewhere a bit different. But, yeah, when I came here, everything felt so quiet. And now I really enjoy that. I've done the London part of my life, and I'm grateful for it. But it was like everywhere in Melbourne closes at, like, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And it was just like, some, like someone was, like, turning out the lights. Yeah. Going, hey, go to bed now, Melbourne. And London's 24 hours. I try again. People are, like, putting their stools away at, like, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. They're making out the Spanish. You make them look like workaholics. Oh, no. <laughs> but the thing that was annoying in, like, you don't open till 12. Like, yeah, I'm trying to go. You don't shut till 3 a.m. Tr- I'm trying to go in there. And get a breakfast or something. There's oh, nothing. Well, well, even what are you open. doing that for? Yeah. Breakfast here is an art form. Yeah. No, not in London. It's so crazy, isn't it? Yeah. That's the biggest difference I've found over in in um, England or Australia is like the culture around eating and dining is it's all about the night time in London. Yeah, it is. You go out maybe for here. lunch, but yeah, it's lunch or, or dinner. You yeah. certainly wouldn't. Uh, if I rang a mate in London and said, yeah, let's, let's meet for breakfast, breakfast, he would think something was up. Yeah. Or it was a rush thing. <laughs> he didn't want to hang out with me. Because <laughs> breakfast there, unless you're in a really great hotel, it's not It's not really a thing. Yeah. Whereas it came here, it's so nice. I love the whole brunch thing. It's, it's brilliant. Best. Oh, it is. It's great. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I love that. Win the that change. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, so growing up, what was, uh, mm-hmm. what was life like for you? Where did you grow up? A place early, called early. Uh, a very small city called Winchester, about an hour and a half south of London. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I I couldn't wait to to go somewhere else. It was a lovely place to grow. It's a beautiful place, right? But I had a yearning to. The world felt like it was outside of Winchester. It felt like a very small quiet. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, I had dreams of like doing stand-up and radio, and I got that bug at a very young age, about 13. I saw Billy Connolly when I was a teenager and I was 13. I saw him on TV, and I saw my mum and dad literally like doubling over with laughter. I'd never seen them laugh like that. They were collapsing in their bodies. And it felt like this shamanic kind of, he looks like a shamanic wizard, Billy Connolly, with his big beard. And he had all this energy and he was being so rude, so funny, but talking about life and telling stories. And my mum and dad were just like the power in that front room on a Saturday night, right? And they worked really hard. They had proper jobs. I still have a lot of guilt that I don't, and I don't have a proper job doing what I do. But no. they, dad and my dad worked in a car factory. Mum was a nurse. I saw all of that and I was like, fuck that. I'm going to, there's got to be an easy way. Yeah. But I saw the power that Billy Connolly had to just literally transform them. And I was like, that, that's what I want to do. What a magical thing to do. And then I heard there was a DJ and it was that same year when I was 13. It was like a landmark year for me. There was a DJ on the radio and he had, a, a, I'd never heard a DJ like that. He was really funny, very edgy, he was sarcastic, he was subversive, but he was he was so likable. He was your friend. And everyone at school, you'd all talk about, he did a, a drive time show in the afternoon. Everyone talked about it. It was like, did you hear it yesterday? He said this, he did that. And that was another light bulb. I was like, what an amazing thing. But I couldn't work out how I got from my tiny little house into that radio. I had no idea. There was no path ahead of me. Um, my mum and dad weren't in that kind of industry. It was quite a sort of strange path of mine. But 
sometimes it's a it's a blessing and a curse when you find out what you want to do at a young age, because then uh, it it won't just open up for you. You're going to go all over the place, um, but you just want to you just want to head towards it. But it isn't going to be like that, and so it's it's really hard to relax and understand the process, and that it's going to be a, a, an uneven path to get there. That's even if you get there, and life isn't fair. There are a lot of very talented comedians that I sort of came up with when I was doing stand up, who just gave up. But it wasn't because they weren't talented. They could, they were doing Netflix specials now. Loads mm. of them. They just stopped doing it. And sometimes the hardest thing is to keep going. Mm. The easiest thing is to quit. Go and do something easier. It's really hard. Once you have a dream or something you want to shoot for, it's actually very hard. It's not like, ah, oh, now I know what my life's purpose is. That's part of it. The other part is like, well, you're going to have to give yourself over to this. And whatever you love in life, it will break your heart. Radio's broken my heart a million times. It will more. It's the path of what it is to really give yourself to something. You're going to be, it's going to hurt you sometimes. It's going to test you. And I think actually that, that as, as the longer I've done radio, I've been doing radio about 25 years, actually doesn't get any easier. I'm still learning from it, actually. I learned quite a few things on today's show. It didn't quite go the way I wanted. But I love the fact that I'm still learning. I absolutely love that. That's huge. Well, there's so much to unpack there. I've got a million questions. But one of the points that you brought up and it's something that I find really annoys me a little bit about when people talk about career and what you're alluding to before, like it's hard to get to a certain place. And you know people say like you gotta be patient. You know we get this saying like be patient, trust the process, yeah, things work. Yeah. I get that. That's yeah. that's fantastic. And I actually do totally agree. I get you gotta trust the process and let things happen. And maybe this is obvious, but I think there's one little bit left off there is the fact that while you're being patient, that doesn't mean you don't do anything. Like you've still got to be growing. No, you've still got to be heading towards. You've still got to be heading. Like be patient, but yeah. you've still got to be working. You've got to make to progress, and you've got to be uh, working out how am I learning along this path? Yeah. What skills can I acquire in the meantime, so that I'm I'm that when I get there, I'm as good as I can be. Yeah. You'll never your tastes and your abilities are going to be so far apart. Like when I finally got into radio, I was I wasn't very good, and so but I knew what I liked in radio. I knew what I wanted to be. But my tastes of how I wanted myself to be and where I was talent-wise and skill-wise were so far apart. Yeah. Because I needed to, I needed to make my mistakes, you know, and I need to learn a lot. I need to unlearn a lot as well. When you start in life, sometimes in a creative world, you you ape a lot of other people. It's part of the process, right? You will with all the best women. What do you mean by that? Sorry, like you'll you just, just copy other people's style. Yeah. Whether or not you're even aware of it consciously, to. you just yeah. will. And then basically over time, hopefully you drop that and you become your own voice. There are so many great comedians, right, that we see now. And they will tell you, yeah, I only became good um, 20 years into it. And you got 20 years. That's more than Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. And I don't think you need to necessarily do 10,000 hours, but you do need to commit to working out whatever you do, mm. that. But I like that as well. I like the fact that I'm still honing what I do. And I've been doing it a long time, and I've been I, I've done well at it. But I like the fact I'm still working out, oh, this is a better way to do this now. That's a better way to, to be during the day to get better ideas or more ideas. Or sometimes you can change your life in one thought, can't you? The last sort of year and a half, you're going to find this really odd. I've really got into um, trees. Can people hear that giggling in the room? No, no. Have I got a tree friend here? Darcy, tell Christian. Uh, Darcy, you're a tree nerd like, like me, my brother. I don't know if he has a mic, but tell uh, Darcy's going to tell Christian yeah. off there about this. Look at that. So, green space. I, at the moment, my biggest thing in life is trees, green spaces, being in nature. So I'm looking no, at it's been getting... A, literally a life changer personally, yeah. but also I've learned um, so much about how I can be... Uh, I have a better understanding now 
that's helped me avoid burnout, which I've literally had too much yes. in my life, is really helped me understand the creative process, even just being a, a better dad. Yeah, wow. So yeah. talk us through the tree, like what the love of the tree. It came in lockdown because yeah. you need to go out and walk. Yeah. And um, I just started to look at trees and I found that I was having, this is going to sound crazy, but It's anyway, not, man, trust me. I, I found talk myself having a silent touch. conversation with these trees, right? In all of them, really. <laughs> and actually one of the most important things to come back to when you are struggling is... I call them like kind of air gaps, right? Because actually when you are struggling, everything gets really tight. You feel really tight. You feel just depressed, literally into yourself. And you've got to find this tiny little bits of space, these air gaps, right? And coming back to still in a tough time, finding a place where you can still have an element, just 1% or 2% of the wonder and awe in the world, it just makes you sigh and go... I'm part of something bigger than me. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. Wow. And just having that thought. So trees were that for me in a really tough time during lockdown, especially oak trees. And I found one about 10 minutes away from me, right? And I'd say to my daughters, come on, let's go and look at the trees. Like, oh, my God, the tree knows everything. <laughs> but they would still come with me. And I'd go, look, you know, and they're like, what is it about you and the trees? Um, and... Uh, I, I said, I don't know what's going on. And I, I sort of, I was looking at the trees, especially these oak trees, right? And oak trees produce millions of seeds every year. They believe in that they create in an area of abundance. So I start to think, Crikey, I can loosen up about, oh, I need more ideas, I need more ideas. What if it all runs out one day? And just start to understand that, actually, I've never run out of ideas. I've been doing this a really long time. I've never, ever run out of it. I can't have talkers block. There's another show tomorrow for three hours, and then another one on Friday. I can't have, oh, there's talkers block. It doesn't exist. Mm. I just need to start, and then I will find ideas that will come to me. But anyway, I'm looking at the tree, how it just creates out of abundance. And the other thing, it just it has this hidden depth in the roots that we don't even know about. We all have hidden depths, but they know how to nourish themselves. They support each other. And so as I'm silently having this conversation with the trees, it's like the trees are teaching me something. So anyway, my daughter, she turns 18 two weeks ago. We get into a big argument. She wants to get a tattoo. Of course, right, she's 18, okay? I've got a tattoo, but I got this at 45, right? I go, you can't, you don't know what you're going to do. And then I said, what are you even going to get? You've got to have something mean something to you. I want to get a tattoo of an acorn and an oak tree. I almost, I almost burst into tears. Yeah. She was paying attention. And I said, what does it mean to you then? She went, it means possibility. That's what oh, it means to me. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, trees... But just having that wonder and awe in a tough time during lockdown, it really it opened up a little air gap in me. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, getting amongst nature. Again, this sounds so, like, basic. Like, that's not going to make any difference. Oh, it will. It will. It absolutely will. Going for a walk, getting a view, getting a perspective, it opens up a horizon of just – actually, she's right. She's teaching me. It's possibility that actually tomorrow might be a slightly different day, that actually I might get through this. I read last week that there was a – in ancient Egypt, there was a competition. They wanted to try and distill wisdom to just one line. So they offered like gold to anyone who could come up in one line with a, a an amazing bit of wisdom, but one line only. I think this went on for ages. And ultimately, it was won by someone who said it was the first time it was proper written down or carved down or whatever they did, that this this will pass. And this was like, this is ancient wisdom, mm. this will pass. And it's hard to believe that it will change, you will change. But it also means that everything will pass. So even on your best day, you know, sometimes you can have the, like, the best day and you know, ah, 
in a couple of hours' time, this won't be like this. There's this beautiful kind of intransience to life. And nothing is permanent. Everything you love and care about will go away. People now tuning in probably thinking, Jesus Christ, is no, this guy going to lighten up? Is he a breakfast show host? <laughs> is he like this every morning? Oh, six. Go hug a tree. Here's Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got my second love of Nickelback. I think they're the most underrated band of all time. Well, they're not underrated. No, they're on deal. They're, they're no, not sorry, underrated. They, they got memed. They, they, like their career on the internet, they nearly got taken down. But their music is incredible. I was well, again. Is, I was right, just watching Trace listen to Nickelback. That people say are terrible. They're hugely successful. So successful. Uh, do you know one of my? I've been lucky enough to interview you know all these different rock stars over the years and all the ones that I sort of admire and loved. You know, from McCartney to Mick Jagger. I've been around Elton John's house. Coldplay's Private Jet. And yet one of the funniest things I did with Chad Kruger from Nickelback. He was a genuinely charming... He, he knows. He knows he's not Lennon McCartney. He doesn't care. So he's so, he was so zen-like. He was so happy. He was just like, yeah, the lyrics are shit. <laughs> yep. We can't believe it either. Every time we do a show for 20,000 people, we're like, can you believe this? It's a charmed life. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's re- probably the happiest rock star in the world. A lot of them are all so unhappy, aren't they? All this insecurity about the next hit. you ever seen Chad Kruger? That's the happiest looking well, dude in the world. Also, um, speaking of a bit of their lyrics, and I, I, I hope people are avid listeners, but they have that song called Rockstar. Have you heard that song? Yeah, of course it was. It was well, massive everywhere. I had to exactly. play it too many times every morning well, for about Rockstar, two years. That, that pretty much speaks about all those things. I'm a, so yeah, it's actually deceptively. Would, it's got some wisdom. It's actually in there. very wisdom song when you listen. Yeah. to I, I think I listen to the lyrics way too much. Sometimes I even think too much into them that I don't think the artist is even looking. But, yeah, it's, but that doesn't matter. It's, think, that it's the same when anyone reads a book. Yeah. Two people can read the same book and take two different meanings because you're bringing yourself and all your stories yeah. and filters and beliefs and stories and stuff like that. And it's the same with songs. Yeah. Someone could go, I hate that song. I love that song. Well, I got I walked down the aisle to that song and go, that song's rubbish. But the song it's that so me different. and my wife got married to yeah. is actually about two couples breaking up. What? But to us. Which, what's the song? It's a, it's a song by Gang of Youths oh, um, I know. called The Deeper Size and the Frankest of Shadows. It's quite right. sad. If you listen to it, it's about two couples breaking up. Um, they don't like each other anymore. Now, why did you? Why does? Why does that song because, speak to you? I'm interested because I love sad songs. I literally have about ten playlists. I'm all on about Spotify. the sad songs. I love melancholic songs. I think you and I have lost similarities in yeah. terms of trees and sad songs yes. and reading too many. We should go things. on a mandate. I sit under a tree with a we definitely wi- Wi-Fi speaker definitely playing miserable should. songs. But the song means a lot to us because when we're in Sydney. Um, and I was actually we had a, a guest on last week called Jaden Comerford who is um, he's in the music industry and we're talking about you know how songs exactly what we're saying before how a song can mean something to you even though it doesn't hmm. mean that it's what it means to you at that time what you're going through yeah, where you are it's up. imprinted sometimes in an exact exactly. time and place and we were that was a song when we were living in Sydney that we just put on first had a vinyl player it was my first vinyl that I ever got it was a live version she got it for my, for my birthday. And I just put that song on. And it was the only song that I never really knew on the album. And then I listened to it. And just when I look back at that, I always just like think of soundtracks to my life. And I was like, this is our song. And even if it doesn't mean what it means to us, it means doesn't something matter. different. Yeah, This is what it means to you. Exactly. It's irrelevant what it means to somebody else. It spoke to you in that moment. In that way. And you're right. Those songs are soundtracks to our lives. It's like whenever you hear that song now, wherever you are, 30 years from now, wherever you are, they're like little time-travelling devices. It takes you back to that. It's like a smell, isn't it? It takes Mm. you... It will take you straight back to that time and place. That's amazing. Have you thought about that in your career, being the voice 
of someone's life. Like that's how much. No, you otherwise know, you'd, li- I'd literally be some sort of a-hole. You'd not, be not, some sort of tyrant. Yes. I am the voice. <laughs> no, the voice. Good morning, world. You, I suppose I, I, I'm not going to sit here. Like you are one of the biggest radio DJs in the world. You've dominated over in, in um, UK. The amount of people that were listening to your show every day that you're a part of their routines, their schedules, yeah, their mean, life. A- like the, absolutely, it, yeah. You were. Uh, I was on uh, 20 years of breakfast radio yeah. in the UK. The last show I was on had, you know, two and a half million listeners and I did that for 12 years. Yeah. And those people, before I was at that, was another show and a lot of people came with me from my old radio station to the one that I did for the last 12 years. So some of those, obviously, they're going through various stages of their lives. I'm going through living my life. They're growing with you. So now some of them, I get emails from them and go, oh my God, I can't believe Ruby, my oldest daughter, was 18. I remember when I was listening to you when you came back from paternity leave and said, we're going to call her Ruby. Uh, and you played Kenny Rogers' "Ruby, Don't Take You Left to Town." They're like again; they just remember that song because of because of that moment. And so, yeah, you are you are a background and you're a soundtrack to somebody's life. And uh, I still find that incredibly moving. Mm. And you know, yeah, broadcasting in London, uh, I've I've been on air during nine eleven when it was a really scary time in London because we we're so closely aligned with the the war on terror and there were there was a lot of threats going on in london it was a very scary time for us everywhere and then there were there been terrorist bombings in london you know then there was uh, the uh, one of the worst shows the hardest show i've ever had to do was a monday morning it was after when there'd been a big bomb in manchester an arena during the ariana grande show yes and a lot of kids had died and it was just heartbreaking and it was probably the only show that i actually i didn't want to be there I actually just wanted to be at home with my kids. I didn't want to be on air sharing that news. It was just like people waking up today was just about the worst news you could hear. And it was, it's my job, I always think, in a tough time like that is to just try and, I guess, give words. I guess that's yeah. what I can do. I can give words to the experience. That I really found hard because I actually just want to walk out the studio and go home. I didn't want to engage with the world. But I realized those people who listen to the show, they still need their friend in the morning. Mm. I still need to show up. That's the agreement I have with it. So that that was a really, really hard show, actually. I've, I found myself thinking, actually, I should just tell them I don't want to be here. <laughs> I just need to say, I just want to be at home hugging my daughters. You know, we were going to go to a gig two weeks later and we cancelled it because I was just scared, really, really scared. So, yeah, that was a really hard show. And then coming here to Melbourne... I came to the most, you know, we moved to the most livable city in the world. And then we went through six lockdowns. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's no experience in the UK. We'll go, oh, yeah, I know what to do in a lockdown. I'm like, what am I going to do now? This is really hard. You know, and so much of my show is about what happens in our lives. Not much. Nothing was happening. It was really dark what was happening. It's like, what the hell am I going to talk about for three hours? You know, and so it was a really... But also a real privilege to be someone's friend in a tough time. Oh, wow. I mean, the biggest thing I learned from that, just simplifying it all. Yeah. Like we were talking earlier, it was the only way I got through it, you know, in terms of at home with my kids and my wife. My daughter's really struggling and just trying to be, uh, you know, uh, a guide to the mor- in the morning to the listeners was just like actually just simplifying it all. Um, yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, that was a hell of a learning curve going through that. Unbelievable. Um, one part of your, your story, because I'm reading a book at the moment. I've, I bought a Kindle. Actually, my wife bought me a Kindle. It's 
it's a game changer. I'm not a big reader, but yours was the first book I, I bought. Yeah, no, I, I love books, right? So I've got, you, if you come to my house, there are hundreds of books. I yeah. keep the books that have a real meaning to me, but I read a lot. I read three or four a month. Do you Kindle or do you like Kindle the both? Do you like the I, I like both. Yeah. Kindle's great because you can just get them on quickly. Yeah. Um, and so that th- th- I burn through a lot on Kindle. Yeah, yeah but I, I still love a proper actual, something tangible. Good. I grew up loving yeah, books. Yeah, it's good to have it to display a bit of a flex as and well. And I'll tell you what, everything... I I I think I've I've I know that I I'm the person I am today because of reading books. Yeah, well, way I, more than I went to university. I went to school way more than any. I learned nothing at university. I'm really embarrassed because I'm that guy at the moment that's read about four books, but I recommend oh, them to about fourteen people every time. Well, great. I read you're them, you're you know? spreading you're <laughs> spreading what it what it what, what <laughs> I, it meant know, to you. I don't that's think great. I have the runs on the board to be referring. It doesn't matter. Books. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't okay. worry about that. If you only read five books, it doesn't matter. Okay. I'll read five and six yeah. and then we'll keep going. Um, one part I, I really um, – and one thing I really admire about you, I knew this before even um, getting on the show and I think it's such a powerful message and big part of your story and I'd love to talk about is the career change and how you actually got into radio from working in sales and yeah. a job that you didn't you know necessarily no. love um, and, and a path that you didn't necessarily want to go down no. into making that leap and that change because yeah. I think we can – it's really easy for people to say sometimes, but unless you've actually lived that experience and you've done that at a time where you needed financial support or stability and you're tracking in one way, it's very, very hard thing to do. Um, but I'd love to hear your your story on it. Yeah, so um, I uh, was living in London with dreams of being a stand-up or radio, but <clears throat> dreams are one thing. Suddenly then you get engaged and actually, you know, you're in your mid-20s, you realise you need to start making moves or you're going to end up in that sales job. Mm. And I've been working in various sales jobs. I kept accidentally getting promoted. I found out I was actually, with no effort, no effort, very good at sales. I kept getting, kept getting promoted. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, then I'll get headhunted for another job. I didn't want, didn't even go for. And I was just like, oh, I can't, this isn't. And yet I worked with people in sales who were great fun. I actually had a really good time in sales. I mm. loved it. I used to try out material before stand-up gigs. I'd go out for lunch, take clients out, and just start doing bits. And I used to have a little notepad. I'd go to tour and go, I'm definitely doing that. I won't do that, but they didn't laugh at that. Yeah. So I actually, I actually <laughs> really, good. really, I actually had a good time doing yeah. it. Well, it's people. It's, it's people, people but, yeah. job. Yeah, and I was actually because I was, you know, having to sell to people that didn't want to buy stuff. It's uh, it's all about relationships. So actually. I tell you what, one of the best trainings, if you really want to get good at talking on the radio, um, go and work in telesales for a year. When I look back now, best training. Yeah. It was cold calling. That's all I did all day. Mainly commission-based. You know, no one wants to talk to someone that just calls you on the phone. They hate you. I hate it now. How do you get my number? Go away. What was your trick? Did you have a one-liner? Because I've seen on TikTok heaps, there's like a... There's like real strategy around calling people. No, I was. Calling. it was cold calling, but I was working for you. I love this, right? So I was working in this office where there were about 100 of us, all sort of 18, 19, 20. It was great fun. Everyone got out, went out every night yeah. got drunk. It was actually a good fun. All our headsets, you know, like, you know, like veiled in little crates. And they were about, we were working on 20 different magazines just doing their classified advertising. So I was on a photography magazine, right? I don't know anything about cameras. So I have to bluff it. I go, oh, hi there. Is that Lennox Photography? How are those Canon's selling at the moment. Right. <laughs> so straight away, you just get a rapport. Oh, they're yeah, pretty good at the moment. Oh, well, I'm from Amateur Photographer, and um, we've literally had an advertiser. I would always just make up these lies. We've just had an advertiser, and I always make up a sad story, because people feel, if you tell them a sad story, you go, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> this is a terrible thing to do to humans, right? But if it's only I was waking my money to pay rent, I would go, we've just had an advertiser pull out. Sadly, his dad's just died. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge me, all right? A man will do anything to save his life. <laughs> 
And they go, oh my God, I'm so sorry, right? No one's hanging up. I go, it is, right. it is sad, like you said. And I go, but I said, my boss is mad at me because I need to fill this advertising yeah. spot. So I go, all right. Um, I guess I should get to, <laughs> to do this. Other people were horrified. We weren't taught to do that. It was just something a desperate it's man like would do. It's the Jordan Belford of camera sales. The wolf of telly yeah. sales. <laughs> And the other one, I would, I would just make this stuff up because I realised yeah. I had to tell them a story very quickly. Yeah. And I'd ring them up and go, hello, I don't know if it's Lennox Photography again. Hello, hello, is that Abbot, Abbotsford Photography? Yeah. And they go, yes, it is. And I go, I'm calling for my amateur photographer. How's it going? Oh, well, uh, actually, I've had a terrible, terrible time, actually. My girlfriend's just left me. The guy <laughs> went, oh, my God. <laughs> if you speak to someone that on the phone, you're relating them as a human. You're not going, go away. You think, I can't hang up on this guy right now. I'm all he's got. <laughs> anyway, sometimes I'd be so confused about which client was calling in. They'd be going, how, how, did your girlfriend come yeah, yeah. back? I'm like, oh, that with his that one. <laughs> I should have had like a, you know, like a post-it notes on walls to know all these different storylines I had running. It's like a Seinfeld, all oh, these different story oh, arcs. So, yeah. <laughs> That's why I needed to use that creativity yeah, for yeah. good, not bad. Yeah, fair call. Just to make commission on a photography Where did magazine. the opportunity come? Was there, was there one? Was there two? Was there no, three? the opportunity, the biggest kick up my backside was actually meeting my, my wife. Yeah. You she, speak about her a lot in the book. Yeah, yeah. And she's, she's literally like my my guiding star. No, I've, I know I'm, I know people say that. It says, "Oh, okay, right." He just wants to get laid when people say that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I must say but this no, is another similarity. It's so true, right? You yeah. get it, okay? Yeah. And she still is biggest fan, <laughs> definitely number one critic. Oh my, oh my god, my wife can hear what I think. That's a great show today, guys. Hmm. And I know straight away, what does that mean? She goes, well, I heard it got my seven. I didn't think it was that good. Yeah. And it just hangs in the air like, oh, it's still harsh. Still burns. Still burns. <laughs> I think for you and I, the same desire comes. You need to, it. They to, ground you, us, right? Oh, it's mate, I'm grounded, thing. honestly. You don't need someone who's just saying, you are amazing. Sometimes I come home levitating through the door. Yes. And I, then as soon as I walk in, I'm just fucking bang, straight <laughs> yes. down. Straight back down yeah. to earth. Yeah. Yeah, so she said, hey, listen, what's actually going on with this radio and stand-up? Yeah. I was like, oh, it's very hard. You know, then she goes... No one is going to knock at that front door one day going, Christian, we need we you need right you, now. Yeah. Get in the limo. <laughs> <laughs> the number one show needs you. And you know when someone says, oh, but it's, it's murky, it's swampy, I don't know if actually I can do it. And she went, well, I think you can. And you just need to, you just need to get in the building. And I went, it doesn't work like that. You don't just get in the building and do radio. They don't just hire a cleaner going, hey, hey the, the breakfast show guys and turned up today. You with the mop, <laughs> yeah. come on to a show. But she was right. She, it, and actually, it, it, sometimes you just need to get near the thing. You need to get in the building. I've hired people uh, uh, who were on reception. There was a young guy years ago, about, I don't know, about 18 years ago, funny young dude on reception, right? Now, we chat to him every day on the way out. I said, he's a funny kid. I went, what do you want to do? He goes, oh, at the moment, I'm doing this part-time and I'm sort of helping my dad out. I went, why don't you come on the show for a week and just help out? Always looking for a set of hands. I ended up hiring him in the end. He was really funny. He then became a producer. He now has got a great career in radio because he was just in the building. So that was me. I, my wife said, why don't you just take a sales job for a radio station? I went, the DJs, they hate the salespeople, right? They don't, they don't want to be their friend. They're certainly not letting them on the radio. But I had nothing else to do. So they're okay. And so I swear to God, I'll start working for this company. I was selling sponsorship promotions. 
getting to know the radio bosses. And then I was down the pub one day and there was this mad Australian, right? I mean, like proper, it's like something out of a movie. Yeah. Yeah, mate, he really was like one of those, right? Croc Dundee. <laughs> and so because you're so friendly, right? And you don't have all these hang-ups about you can't say this to someone like that. You're not the same social class. Australians are the most friendliest people in the world. Mm. I just said to him, hey, listen, I want to be on air. And, uh, and I started giving this big speech. He went, mate, you'd either be shithouse <laughs> or you'd be great. I don't give a fuck which one it is, but someone's quit. Do you want to go down and audition? I was like, uh, okay, you guys will come down the weekend. So I went down literally like two days later, went down, auditioned, and I, 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 this is going to sound really odd, but maybe you've had this in your life. As soon as I walked in that radio studio, I knew I felt confident. I felt actually, up until that time, it was the first sense of, other than meeting my uh, wife, I feel at home here. I belong here. I did the audition and... I knew, oh, I know I can do this. It's going to be hard to get good at it, but I know I I will be able to do this. And so they offered me the job, but it was like, a, it was, I just started, I just finally started to pay off debts. I've been able to pay back my wife that money for that wedding suit. Mm. I was starting to make really good commission. I wasn't having to lie about people dying, <laughs> fictitious girlfriends leaving me. I was just starting to come yeah. good, right? And it was involving a 60% pay cut. We'd only been married six months. And my wife was like, you don't have any choice but to do this. You'll regret it for the rest of your life, wow. and I can't let you do that. My wife quit her job as a lawyer, right? Who does that? And we're only she, – she was 28. She just quit. She'd been training all her life to be a lawyer. She quits, and I hate it. It's making me really unhappy. So I said to her, look, give me two years. I saw it as an apprenticeship. And I'm so grateful I had that wisdom because when you say, I'm going to be an apprentice, you take your ego out the way. And I was, I'm not just saying this now, like, oh, it's so bad, like fake humble. I was actually really bad. Mm. But I knew I could get better. And I knew, like, I was obsessed with very early on, I didn't want to be on the radio like everybody else I heard, where they were, like, laughing about stuff. Like, I know that's not that funny. Mm. Why are they laughing at that? I wanted it to be like, when I was down the pub with my friends, you had to, t well, my friends, you had to be a really good storyteller. If you were like, stumbly with the star, that story, yeah. people were like, what's going on with you? <laughs> like, oh, forget about it. Don't worry, guys. You had to really have that story that you had to know the beginning, yeah. middle, and the end. Or if it was going on too long, they go, is, what, dude, where is this going? Yeah. This is, what is this, Quentin Tarantino, director's <laughs> cut? Get on with it. And so I just knew that I had to, I wanted to be like that. I, I, I wanted to be as, as real a conversation. Mm like it is with your friends. You know, I wanted to be more natural, more organic. I didn't want it to be like a radio show. It probably took me about three or four years to start to get to that. Um, and so I just saw it as an apprenticeship. And I I realized I needed to uh, do as many radio shows as possible to learn how to use all the technical side of it. I wanted to press all the buttons so I can control the timing as well because then I could affect the rhythm of it as well and play with that. Well, because it's, it's just, sorry, a lot of radio stations these days, hosts all, all, aren't... All of them here, the, the hosts in Australia do not do any of the they buttons. They don't do anything. No, it's, it's all, I, I do. When I yeah. came here, they were like, oh, we'll have someone who would do that. Can you explain that a bit more though? Because I don't think uh, that was a big shock for me when I went into working in radio, I was like, what the fuck is that thing? Like, I didn't know what the, the board was, panelling. Yeah, the and, desk. And it it's was, like a mixing desk. Yeah. You know, if anyone's seen into a recording studio, you know, the big desk with all the faders, you have that. Every radio studio has that. And I wanted to learn how to do that myself because I knew that then I could have more control over the show yeah. and the, and play around so with it. So it's like it. fading in the that. ads, music up, all the yeah, sorts yeah. of things. Yeah, and just, yeah, I could, I could just play with that space a lot more. I wanted to know the 360 of how it worked. Yeah. And it's like that thing, you've got to know what the rules are, then you can play around, break them and remake them for yourself. I know I need to do that. 
And so I used to do free shows at the weekend because they couldn't afford to pay me. I would just do a four or five hour shows by myself at the weekend doing request shows. I just need to build up those air miles. After about a year, I stopped doing that, but I invested in myself. Too often these days, people want to make a quick buck very quickly. Oh, I'm not doing that for free. I know what my value is. I read this book that says you need to know what your value is. Yeah, you do. You also need to know when you cash in your value. Yeah. I had no value. And you need to know if you're actually bringing value. Yeah. And I wasn't that time. But I knew that in a couple of years' time, I will. it will come back to me. The more I put in now, the learning, 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 you know, it's taking the hard knocks. You're constantly just working at it. Yeah, and still like that a bit now. I remember when I was a teenager, I was fascinated, obsessed with the various martial arts. And I didn't really like there being hit bit too much, but the kind of the kind of lessons and the discipline and the focus and the mindfulness. I look back now, I think I was taking something in then. Anyway, I remember once I did this karate and our, our instructor we used to have to call Sensei, which means teacher in Japanese, right? But he was a local hairdresser, right? He cut my mum's hair, but he was called he was called Simon. But mm. in the dojo he's like Sensei and I was like, <laughs> oh, he's Simon, the hairdresser. But anyway, he once had this visiting Japanese karate professor, right? Tanaka, I think it was called, Sensei Tanaka. It was like a ninth Dan. He'd been a 10-time world champion. This guy, since you walked in, it was terrifying. He had this very calm aura, like this guy could literally tear you to shreds with no effort. Anyway, he started to spar with the black belts, our black belts, you know, who were like like gods in any karate club, right? And they used to kick the crap out of us because they're black belts. Anyway, he just beats the shit out of them, right? He, 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 this guy was in his 70s, right? He literally was like a grandpa. Yeah. And he was just, just kicking the crap out of them. And then I, I'd only just joined the club. I'd been boxing before that for two years. So um, he said that you can get up now. And he pointed to all the white belts. And so I was like, okay. And I didn't have any ego about it because I was like, if he, if he can take them out in like seconds, this isn't going to be that long, you know. Anyway... Because he was like, it's, uh, it's my turn to spar with him, right? I just, he, he had his like lead hand out, was quite far out. So I just thought I'll grab his sleeve of his gi and pull him into me and try and hit him. And I didn't realise it's very disrespectful to do that to a black belt, right? But I just thought, oh, why not? I might get a lucky punch. I was like 15. You're just an idiot 15. Yeah. Like, well, hey, Tanaka. Wait. So I grabbed him and I went to hit him. And in a split second, it almost looked like it was going to happen. But then he just he was shocked for about half a second. And then he obviously steadied himself. And he sort of leant back slightly and just kicked me in the head immediately, right? It was over. And I was like, wow. My sort of goes, at the end, yeah, you, what you did is appalling. App, that is so sorry. You, you can't you can't train here anymore. I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right. And I didn't I didn't know. So when I go up to our, uh, in the change room, I go up to this guy. I said, I'm really sorry. I'm really I did not mean to disrespect for you. And he goes, No, thank you. It's amazing. He goes, All those black belts have got what I call black belt ego. What you need to have every day and what they need to have every day is white belt wonder. And I thought, what a great lesson. That white belt wonder is still being like an apprentice. So I remind myself every day, I'm going to learn something new on today's show. Hmm even though I've been doing it a very long time, it's that balance between experience and innocence. I still love that thing of white belt wonder and not having that black belt mindset like, I'm very successful about this. I've been doing this a long time. I'm very good at this. And I know all the answers. Actually, a lot of creativity is, and in life, we're not meant to know all the answers. It's the finding out or being curious or being inquisitive that actually leads you to, I think, greater fulfillment in your life, greater freedom within your life, and also in your, in your working life as well. They're, they're aligned. They're the same thing.
Love it. I, I'm uh, again reading my f- the fourth book at the moment is Good to Great, Jim Collins. I don't know if you've oh, read. Oh yeah, yes, and brilliant book, brilliant book. And it's it's a lot about business, but it, again, you can refer it to life and mm. all these sorts of things. And I'm reading it with a mate, Nick, who works um, here at the studio, and and it's someone that he's like a mentor for me. We give each other great you know, feedback, very honest with each other. And he gave me some feedback the other day that really struck with me because I think that like being a young bloke, if you're going that somewhat well, that your ego can just drop up on you and you don't even know it. It's so no, innocuous exactly. in the back of your mind, yeah. you don't know It's all know about, it. the ego is all about keeping you safe and protecting, protecting your identity, you. right? And it would do anything for you to keep that. And they've even, there are brain scans now. Someone showed me them, right, a couple of years ago where the area, especially in men, in your brain that is activated when your identity is being threatened yeah. is the same area in your brain as if you're being threatened and attacked physically. Yeah. So you, Richard, so you, that's why you see men act, act out, whether it's with their partner or anything. If they say, oh, you know, what were you crying about? Or you're a bit of a circ or, you know, you're weak. Or that's why men behave so badly that they're acting out from that mm. fear of having that. So, yeah, so what happened to you? Oh, so, so he was saying, basically, um, gave me some advice. And it, it wasn't really, he wasn't saying it to me, but he was saying in general, was talking he said the best part of advice someone ever gave me was to be able to take advice from anyone and i think it was just in a in a in a passing comment and i actually hit him up about it later on i was like i don't think you know how much that hit me in the moment when you said that because i look back to when i was a kid and we're talking about what could you tell your 18 year old Mm. self like i had coaches and people used to come up to me and say we're not actually going to give you feedback anymore because you don't take it on board you think you know everything and i think the moment i started dropping my ego, admitting that I do not have the answer to anything like or, or things that I'm not 100% certain about or you ask for help or you can let people in, that's the moment you can actually start moving forward. Yeah, it is. And actually, I love not knowing now. I've yeah. come to see it as there's a joy in it, actually. Like, you know, how are we going to do that? Or how am I going to make that? Or how I – at the moment, I'm going through this in a really big way and it's very frustrating because we want answers. It's because of the education system. You think about going back to school all the emphasis about who's got the right answer, why don't you know the right answer? Put your hand up, you're rewarded. You see what happens to kids that don't know the right answer. They're penalised, they're punished, mm. and they internalise that, they feel shame straight away. you learning in that, really, not just the value of the right answer. Oh, I don't want to be shamed out. I need to have the answers. So straight away, if you're going to do that and just have a life then where you're just rewarding the right answers, you're going to avoid ever looking foolish again or not knowing. Mm. And so it, you're straight away very early from an education viewpoint when we're really formative at school – you're learning that you need to know the answers. And so actually you're doing kids a great disservice because then when we become adults, we're terrified of not knowing. We're putting all this emphasis on knowing and it keeps people rigid. Yeah. Have you found that, like has there ever been a time in your career, because as you said earlier, it's something that you've been trying to keep on top of, but like being at the top of your game, being number one, having two million listeners, that can somehow get to your head sometimes thinking like, I know everything, I don't need to learn anything. Yeah, of course, got through many phases of that. And um, you need something that, brings you back to ground, humbling. Yeah. What is that for you? Has it been times? Uh, wife. Yeah. And then tough times. Mm. I think you will be handed a humbling. Mm. Something will just trip you up. And rather than going, oh, that's very unfair, you have to go, yeah, I needed that actually. And actually realize that you needed it. And now I'm better. I c- you can have daily practices that ground yourself in the, to be a bit more grounded, a bit mm. more, yeah. Um, I like to have my head in the clouds, but I think it's really important to have yourself grounded deeply, your feet on the ground. Mm. It's both. You want to feel grounded and also you want to have your head in the clouds, but well, not one or the other. That's It's a really, yes. Like a tree, deep roots, but look how high they grow. It's back to the trees. Mm. And they drop seeds. 
Yeah. Yeah. They give oxygen as well. Y- yep. They give back. Fuck, man. Be more like a tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deep, deep. Um, your story around radio. I'd love to get into your your personal story around around your mental health and mm-hmm. around your, um, I suppose that discovery of where you're at in in that. Um, I think I can. You know, I've obviously read your book and 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 have a fair understanding, but have so many questions because it's. It, I think that that's the beauty of telling a story. So many people can take out what they like of it because in that you always internalize, right? Like I'm reading your book, going, "Oh my god." You know, yes, like that's what I'm experiencing or, oh, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by this? But I would love to, um, if you're happy to, share your story of, of your mental health journey and, and when yeah, of course. it opened your book basically talking about, um, you know, spewing in a bin. Yeah. Um, so basically- Take it wherever you like though. That's Yeah, where, I yeah. guess I'll go about eight years. So yeah, my show was number one breakfast show in the UK and going really well. I was in my mid-40s and- so on paper, I'd had everything I'd worked for. I had a beautiful wife, I had a really nice house, and had two beautiful daughters. I was winning awards. The show was going very well. This was on paper what I'd been working for for all my life. And I suddenly started to feel stagnant. I suddenly felt that my life, I'd made my life too small for myself. I was starting to feel quite anxious. And so with that unrest, I just decided to try and out-hustle it. I started to go back to stand-up. I was doing stand-up tours. Um, I wrote two children's books, which I love doing, but I was trying to keep myself busy. When I look back now, at the time when I started to have very severe panic attacks, I used to say, I just came out of nowhere. Now I can look back, no, they hadn't. I was just like, I guess like the people in Chernobyl, when the alarms start going off, they go, oh, just bang that one, there's another one here. That that was me. The, the, the alarm signals I was just trying to ignore. Um, and then eventually what always happens in life is, it's like a wave that just keeps coming back to you and comes back to you and it will feel, find some way to break you down, either physically, spiritually or mentally. And so for me, it was r- suddenly very, very severe panic attacks. And it was suddenly out of nowhere. I'd never been nervous before doing a radio show. It was suddenly right an hour before doing my radio show. So bad where I walk into the radio station and have to get back out. There. I thought I was going to actually die. That's why it's called a panic attack. And my wife was great. She was like, maybe just don't do live radio anymore. And I said, this is all I've ever done. This is in my heart. I love doing it. And so it was actually talk about an identity. I I had built up an identity mm. about being a successful radio guy, and then suddenly the thought of that being taken away was just like not only what am I going to do? Uh, then I'm a terrible husband, uh, a terrible dad to my daughters. My God, what is wrong with me? I'm weak. I'm pathetic. Why can't I be stronger? And then very reluctantly, my wife said, "Look, I think actually you need help." And she was right. I did. It's very. I found it so hard to admit to myself. I knew I did need help, but there's that ego. What it is with men, it felt like it was a thing. I remember the first therapy session with a guy who literally did work out of a shed at the bottom of his garden. He was a, he was a great guy, but it was it was a posh shed, but it was a shed at the bottom of his garden, which is one of the book I call him "Man in the Shed," you know. And um, but anyway, I remember the first session. I said, "I don't want to be here," and he sort of laughed like, "Here we go, another dude who doesn't think he needs to be here." And he was like, "Well, you are. Um, you booked it." So yeah. and I was like, "He goes, why don't you want to be here?" And I actually said, "I feel terrible. What a terrible thing to say. Very cruel way to speak about myself." But I said. Therapies for fuck ups are not a fuck up. I don't know why I'm here. And he went, Well, I think we're going to be unpacking that for a couple of months. Mm. Therapies for fuck ups. But he goes, You are, you have fucked up. You're here. Why do you think you fucked up? And so it was a process of unraveling and stuff like that. But getting help was the best thing I ever did for myself. It was. And uh, I did therapy, even though I was probably the worst client for the first couple of months. But it was, it was a great thing for me. And then I managed to. 
Not like when I, I remember then on the second session, I was like, I've got these panic attacks. And I kept saying, it keeps happening to me. And uh, I just want to know, I, I just want you to almost like cut it out. And he's going, if I could cut out anxiety, fear, people, I'd be a billionaire surgeon. I do it all around the world, okay? Plus, you keep saying it's an it. It's you. It's not an it. That's your problem. It's your relationship. It's the same with all of us. Your relationship with your struggles, your problems. The moment you turn into an it, you make it into a monster. It's bigger than you. You're powerless. You're giving away your power, your courage. You have to almost befriend that part of yourself that is struggling. And so, you know, it was quite a journey with it, going through therapy. But I did. I learned a lot, uh, a lot of stuff, which was the great thing was, though, about a year into it, I felt my mojo coming back. And I was back on the radio. It wasn't like they were completely over, the panic attacks, but I was getting a lot better at um, dealing with the early rumblings. And one was that I literally I, I went on a week's retreat, never done it before in my life, to uh, go and do breath work. Went to a place in Spain to do breath work. I remember what... I remember my wife and kids were like, is he having an affair? <laughs> Who goes away to, we know how to breathe. You don't know how to breathe, you'd be dead. Would you be to go and breathe for a week in Spain? But I did, and I absolutely loved it, right? Was it I, like Wim Hof or something? No, 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 it wasn't Wim Hof. No, it's a different kind of style, less sort of yeah. aggressive. But it was a game changer for me. So much so I love breathwork. I'm now midway through training to be a breathwork coach. Wow. Never, ever thought that I'd ever be, you know, part of my life plan was to be teaching people how to do breath work. But what's an amazing thing to come out of this? So anyway, breath work was a part of like what I still do every day. Um, but I got my mojo back and I realised, actually, do you know what? And I think sometimes when we're in struggle, how we are, how we feel right now is how we feel about the world. So if you're in a great mood, everything's possible, isn't it? We can move to India and become content creators. We can go to America and do that. But when you're struggling, your lens is so different. It gets fogged up and everything's like, I can't do anything. I can't even get out of the bed right now. I don't know how I'm going to get into next Monday. And so I started to get a sense of that actually, I think sometimes in life, it becomes an ordeal. We tell ourselves that this is an ordeal. It's something I've got to endure life. I think sometimes you need to remind yourself, is life a trial that you need to endure or is life an adventure you get to have and they're going to be ups and downs? Mm -hmm. And I realise actually I've forgotten that if I look back at my life, sometimes looking back at your life, there are clues along your road that you've walked down. I look back at my life and my wife's, like, oh my God, we moved around the country, we do this, you gave up your lawyer's job, I quit that. I said... We've always made it an adventure. We've, we've forgotten to do that, actually, because we became successful. And I was like, I, I want to have an adventure. And we talked and talked a lot. We both said how much we'd loved Australia. And about 12 years ago, I first met Hamish and Andy, and they constantly kept saying, you should come and do radio in Australia. There's no one like you. Come and do radio. Move to Melbourne. You know, it's a real authentic city. We're like, why don't we go on holiday? I just have go and stay in Melbourne, go around Australia before we decide it. We came here, we took the kids here, we loved it. And then I reached out to a couple of people I know on radio, radio around the world. You, people kind of know who the decent people are. And I was offered a, a breakfast show here. And then I was like, oh, I don't think I can do it. Because uh, it was just like, I was going to quit a job. They just offered me a new five-year deal, a pay rise. And it was like, so that's guaranteed easy, safe, you've got all the goodwill, two and a half million listeners, or you're going to go for the unknown where no one knows who you are, you're in your mid-40s, looks a bit like a midlife crisis, you're throwing <laughs> it all away. And I said, well, if I can't do it, I literally almost started have panic attacks again. Yeah. I was like, I can't do it. It's all on me because if this doesn't work out, we've got to come back here and I don't want, that's just going to be unbearable, you know, moving the kids over there at that age, schooling. My wife said, um, I believe in you. I said, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. She went... 
it doesn't matter. If you if it doesn't work out, out, out of there, that's because you've you would have found a way to try and make it work. And if it doesn't and it's not right, then she actually said, "Fuck them. You're too good for them." She said, "But I know you." She goes, "You're trying to make it work. I think it will work. But I'd rather be with you, knowing that you could risk it." She said, "When I when you said you want to quit right, your sales job." I was excited because I was like, oh, my great. This is the guy I actually married. This is someone that wants mm. to take a risk. She said, what are you showing to your daughters? That if you don't do this, so you're just saying to our kids, oh, you should only take a risk. If you know it's going to work out really yeah. well. Risk means risk. Risk means proper risk. Like, I don't know whether I'm gonna actually going to get sacked for the first time in my career, which was a very distinct possibility in the first year. Because it turns out Australians did not want to hear an English guy <laughs> early in the morning. They fucking hated me, right? But anyway, so... Sorry, just just me. on that that yeah. part there, I really want to talk about because it was like the, the decision you I made. Could see the you conversation. actually had tears in your eyes. I Thank actually you. did. I um, Thank you. I cry a lot. But good, me too. That was that was really moving. But the the part where you talk about with your wife because I feel like I can't even talk about because I can't talk about my partner as well. But it feels like um, that conversation was the same now, one. Yeah. Why does that touch you? It's beautiful. Those oh. tears are you at your heart. Okay. <laughs> Please share that with uh, me. Take your time. What does that? What comes up? I'm fascinated. Um, no, just the fact that, um, yeah, just similar. Like anything, anything I've ever had. It's hard to say this story, but just you, you go through journeys with your wife and yeah, everything that we've been through. But I mean, my wife just said something to me once, and she said like, you know, we're talking about when I was playing footy and getting delisted and all these things and she just said we just laughed about it I was like fuck did you ever think we'd be here and she's like she said <laughs> she said like I knew you'd never fail us oh. like, and I was just like fuck you know it's just crazy crazy for her to hear that like fair to say that like it was similar to what your wife yeah because said. actually what is failure we need to yeah it's such a dramatic word isn't it, it? wasn't even because actually what yeah. happened to you right it's i don't even failure. think she said failure she just said like i know whatever you do like you'll do it um what a great thing to do because she's reminding you that actually failing we only fail ourselves if we stop taking risks yeah and stop doing what we should be doing because we're worried that it's not going to go very well or we're going to look stupid. That's the real sad failure exactly. in life. That is. And she took that. She reminded you of that. She does. She reminds me of it all the time. And I think you it's You're getting like, del- delisted. That isn't failure. No, it wasn't. And it's she not failure. She was always there just to be like, she knew that that wasn't like the sales job. And I say this in a way that it's hard to understand, but that was my footy. Like I didn't enjoy it, but I thought I had to because it was just, that's what everyone likes doing. And my dream yeah. was to do something different. I didn't know exactly what that was, but um, yeah, I just think back now and we always talk about like where we, and we're, we're not doing anything, we're, but we're, we're happy. You know, we're so happy and we're so proud of what we've been able to achieve. You know, she works online. I work online. We went to Europe last month and we'll but still that, work. That, and I was just like, how the like fuck is you're this? Le- you're leading this beautiful free life. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's, you, you, you have meaning and joy in your life. Yeah, and it was a, it was a big reflection point just going like, fuck, you know, like, um, it's it's really lucky to have a partner that just can see those things and can ground you and to push you. And there's so many times that I think keep going, let's take the easy decision and we sure. can continue to do this. But I think for me, that's a red flag being like, you're actually going, not that it's bad matters going backwards, but you're taking the easy option. Yeah, sometimes you just need to stop on yeah. the path that you're on or have a yeah. breather or just take a step off mm. it for a bit, you know? 
Thank you for sharing that. No, I appreciate it's it. lovely feeling that love, isn't it? Yeah, that somebody it is. else. That's tr- you know what that is. That's real intimacy, right? When I was a younger, shallower man, I used to think having sex was like that was yeah. intimacy. Yeah. You know, when people talk about intimacy in relationship, or they're intimate, I used to thought that meant having sex. Now I realise actually the real intimacy and connection is those moments you have yeah. when you think, oh yeah, she's probably better off without me. Yeah. And then they say that one line and it just, it actually cracks your heart open because your heart needs to be open because you've made it, you've actually closed your heart up again. I'm being delisted, that means I'm unlovable, I've failed, I'm letting her down. All those horrible, cruel stories that actually aren't true. You know, sometimes in life, we do something for a bit and it just has a life cycle and we try and control that. And sometimes it just has a life cycle. You were a footy player, you did that for a bit Mm. and then you weren't. And it's just like that, you know, life is constant nature, it's back to trees. Birth, death, that's it. That's It's a constant cycle of that. And these seasons we have around us, spring and summer, winter, we are, we have seasons in our lifetime. Mm. Some things run their course. And they have to change. And that's just it. Yeah. And actually, and it, and what is changed is a growth story. Yeah. Life should be a growth story. You're now doing something completely wildly different. You look like, I've only just met you for a couple of hours, you look like you're an incredibly grounded, happy man. Mm. No, I am. I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful, very very, very great. You're not the first footy player that I know that played as a young kid and enjoyed it, right, for shits and giggles, and then it became your living, and then you had an expectation around it and pressure, and then all that, suddenly that joy, that free-flowing joy, the way you did it for play, suddenly got taken out of it. No, and not the first in any field, and no. I think that's what we try and always talk about on this show, is like no matter what we're talking about, radio, podcasting, football here, sales, these are relatable to any professional, any yeah, situation. Just put it to your life and you can ask yeah. those questions of where you are um, in it. But, yeah, I think for me and, you know, I wasn't obviously thinking about my own journey, but it, it is – I think it's, it comes back to like the two things that we spoke about today. Like it's not what happens, it's how you react to it. And for me it's like who I'm surrounding myself with and who's on the bus. Um, you know, yeah, in, I love that analogy. In, I really in, like that. But in, here's what your wife did, right? And because sometimes it's hard to surround yourself with good people. It takes time to find good mm. people that are aligned to it, what you are. But actually what they really do is she actually reminded you of something you actually already knew. Mm. Sometimes we need someone to say it to us because actually we're almost looking for them to give us permission. You actually knew that. It's actually like, you know, sometimes someone says something and it really touches you. But actually what it's done is it's kind of a part of you that knew it. Yeah, It's almost like an act of remembering, isn't it? Sometimes coming back to yourself. She, she brought you back to your true self. Mm. You know, and there's something, there's something that's a, that's an amazing relationship. I'd love to meet your wife one. Oh, yeah, well, she's a, she's a dream. Um, so actually, yeah, she's pretty scary to be honest. The, <laughs> you, she's like, so, she doesn't You've say gone, much. Gone from saying she's no. a dream to well, she's Well, the boy, she, she works here. The guys would know. She's sort of like is very. Uh, she doesn't say a lot. Opposite to me, beautiful, humble, quiet, intelligent, but can hit you between the eyes. Which is what we love. Yeah, but we do, well, we all need that. Yeah. Sometimes you need to have that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, what your wife did for you in that yeah. moment, um, my wife did for me. She took the pressure off it, and she, then it was like, this is going to be an adventure. Then, mm. so there's no failure. If we're having an adventure, maybe I get fired, maybe I don't. But I thought, well, at least I'll. I don't mind coming back to the UK. I won't have my tail between my legs. I took a risk. I went out to Australia. I went out to the other side of the world and a, a city where no one knew me and I gave it a go. Oh, my God, let me – I'll have a load of new stories and I'll have learned a lot. Wow, great. I'll have shown the kids. Yeah, but I did this and we went to Australia and your dad got fired. Wow, what a story. <laughs> 
boring. And would I do it again tomorrow? Yes. <laughs> and it was so hard. A year and a half, the kids, three school changes. It was hardest on them. Where did you come firstly when you when you um, lived here? Where were you living? We were living on in, what we rented in Brighton East. Yeah. And then um, bought a place about after a year when we realised we really liked to hear well, a year and a half I think it was in 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 Hampton. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the first year and a half was hard on everyone. You're starting in life from scratch. We didn't know anyone. It's, it's, here. And, and with the kids as well being at that oh, teenage, that you can't organise play dates. So no. it was really that was the worst bit of it. Was seeing yeah. a kid struggle. Many nights, my wife and I wide awake, going, I don't know, you know. And then it was just like the work side for me. Suddenly I was hiring and building a brand new show from scratch with people I'd never worked with before. Um, I'd never had to do that. Um, and that that was really hard. And then it's not just that. I People, you know, there was a big backlash. It was a mm. huge seismic change to have an English guy on the radio in the morning in Australia. And uh, I, I just remember the first text message I shared. I remember, this book. Can I, I, I remember yeah. seeing... Because this is when I just – so what year yeah. did you first start? 2018. 2018. June. So that was when I – my first year out of footy was 2018. Right. 2019. Yeah. And that was when I was at uh, 3W. And I just remember seeing these billboards everywhere. Yeah, like, that was new a show. It really annoyed and everyone. I was like, they were like, who is he? I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, see, like, that's, was that's like, how everyone felt. Yeah. I wish they'd never done it. Because we're very – um, we decide. You yeah, won't yeah. tell us there's also, a new show. We're very like resistant, but also like poppy. It's like yeah. you'd experience that here as well. It's yeah, like, but it's the same in the UK. Mm. Very similar in that kind of thing. So, yeah, I was kind of people felt like I was being pushed on them, some pom, you know, and having these shiny posters and stuff like that. And it was the wrong way to go about it. But anyway, um, start the radio show very quickly. People, you know, were texting in like, you know, and it would be the same with an Australian guy going over to Australia and suddenly being on Breakfast Radio. Mm. So um, it was just tough. It was just like, oh, God, maybe this is actually a mistake. But I still had a part of me. I didn't quit. And I thought i doing something different. And I believe that I was building something that actually was of value. I really did. And I knew in my heart, this show is good. It's got real potential. I knew that. Whether or not it would work and stuff like that, I didn't know. But I believed in the show. I really did. And I still got a photo on my phone. Andy Lee, the week beforehand, took me and Jack Post to do the show with Al. And he said to me, what, what is it that worries you the most about it? And I said that people won't call in because I love talking to people on the phones. I make the show with the listeners. I said, that. And he goes, yeah, look, you know, it might be a couple of months before people call in. And I was just like, no, there's no way I'm going to let that happen. There's no way. There's no way. And I remember at the end of the first week, we had 10 lines recording in, right? And that means the phone lines, DJ say this, oh, yeah. are jammed. And I remember seeing that at the end of the first five days, even though everything else was hard, it was this tiny little maybe, right? And I had a, I, I remember it was my screenshot, my phone for a while was those 10 lines. It was like, all right, just maybe I can get them. If I can get them talking to me, I kind of thought of it like a restaurant. You walk by any restaurant where there's no one in there, you're like, I ain't going in there. Right, but if you see a couple of people in there, it was the same. If they hear Australians talking to me, people think there must be well, the, the people are calling in. There must be, he must be all right. Mm. I just wanted to get them to start talking. And you know, it's like you go in a in a pub sometimes, and there's a group over there, and you're like, "What's going on over there?" And you hear them laughing, and you sort of can't. They, they look like they're having a good laugh. I wanted it to be. I had this word undeniable that there was something at the core of the show for some people that would be undeniable about it. That I wasn't going to go in desperately, people please or stuff like that. I'd be myself, but they would come to. It. I believe that I was building something different here and I still believe that and the fact it was really really hard also means I can look back now it was the most exciting thing I'd ever done in radio yeah. it reminded me of when I first started 
that when you have those little moments of breakthrough, and I hadn't had that because I've been so successful, I hadn't ever had to worry about what if people don't call in today? They're going to call in. You've got two and a half million listeners. They're always going to call in, right? And so I hadn't ever had to worry about stuff like that. I had to really roll my sleeves up. I had to really pay attention. I really had to make the show. They would hand it back and go, oh, we're not sure about that. It was very collaborative. I had to be so deeply attuned because I needed to learn. I knew I needed to learn what is my relationship with them. And it was and still is an amazing experience. I'm so glad I did it. I love it here. What's the biggest change like for, uh, for shows? What like what what's what's the here? Everything is very. Um, there's more people in the UK listening to radio, bigger population, right? But here it's so much more competitive. Yeah. It's on a knife edge. I remember, I couldn't believe it when I saw the TV news, the radio ratings were announced. There's my picture on there and like this dip thing going down. Like, well, that ain't good. And I've just been in a bar once, right? Wow. Waiting for a mate. Yeah. This was on the first six months. And some guy asked for a beer and he goes, Oh, you're the English guy. You're the pom of the radio. And I went, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Thinking, Oh, he's, he's a fan. He goes, That's not going very well, is it? Oh. I, I was coming in to have a quiet pint on a Friday, right? I went, Yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, but it's, um, it were uh, the challenge is what made it such a great learning experience. Mm. I came here wanting that in a way, and I it's changed me as a person, not just who I am on the radio. Um, but anyway, talking about my mental health thing, I decided that people get saying you should write a book one day about mm. why you came to Australia. So I always told people I came to Australia. I just I just wrote it off as a midlife crisis. I never when I talk to you now openly about the panic attacks. Yeah. That wasn't up until about a year ago. I'd never told anyone. I didn't even tell my mum and dad, my best friend. Really? I told no one. And the reason why people don't do that is because they have shame around it. And and uh, I remember saying to my wife, oh, if I'm going to write a book about why I came here, I should be really honest. Because actually without the panic attacks, what a great gift. There's a wisdom sometimes mm. in anxiety and struggle and breakdown and burnout. Without that, I can look back now and go, but actually one of the best things that ever happened to me. At the time, it was hell. It literally, I thought my life was over as I, I'd known it. But now I look back, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me, that. And so, but I never told anyone. I felt ashamed of it. And then one day I was talking to one of my kids who was having a tough time at school. And I said, hey, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to be vulnerable. She just said, what do you know about it? Because on paper, all I'd wanted to be as a dad was superhuman dad, strong, knowing all the answers, you know, doing very well. And I walked out there and I said to my wife, oh, God, just, she just said, what do I know about? She goes, well, why don't you go back in there and tell her about your panic attacks? I went, oh, I can't do that. She went, why not? Are you ashamed of it? And I was like, <laughs> well, I guess yes. Yeah. So I made myself go back in there and tell her. And it was, oh, God, I, I was, I, it was so uncomfortable. But she was... She was leaning forward. She was like, what do you mean? How did you get out? Oh, oh, that's awful, Dad. I didn't know. That must have been terrifying. I went, yeah, it was. But then this happened, and now I'm here. And so I guess as I was telling it to her, I was realized there's, a, there's something in this story that I'm telling to myself. I had a bad thing happen, but then look at, look at it now. Bad things can happen, and then amazing growth can come out of it. So I thought, right, if we're going to write this book, I'm going to talk about the panic attacks. My wife was like, don't put it in a book. You're only new here in Australia, right? They judge people here, especially men. <laughs> they don't want to hear about you, right? Throwing up in a bin, right? Going and seeing a therapist in a shed, going and having breath work. They're just starting to like you. Don't blow it all. By foot. She said, don't put it in the book. She said, she said, I'll be really honest with you. you. You don't talk to anyone about it. If I just told the kids, you're going to, you're going to, if, if we put in a book, that's all people are going to want to talk about. No, no, I'll just do it as the first three chapters. We move on. Then we get to good times, mm. funny stories. 
My wife, up until I handed in the finished book, right, the first draft, she was like, don't put the panic stuff in. It's going to come back. You're, people are going to ask you about it, and it's going to make you have a panic attack. And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't feel so bad. I'll be fine. Anyway, the book comes out. I remember three days before it came out, there was an interview with me in the newspaper, The Herald Sun, that a picture of me, and the headline was, anxiety, silence the DJ. I threw it on the floor and started to have a panic attack. My wife did one of these. Oh, told you. <laughs> and I'm like, I've made a terrible mistake. And even my wife mentioned it one moment. Can you tell them to take the books off the shelf? I'm like, it don't think it could. And I knew that actually I was on a, I knew I was on this conveyor belt where actually I was being called forward actually out of shame and that isn't an easy, that is not an easy path. But I knew it was in my destiny to have that bloody book out and I started to call it that bloody book. Why did I put that stuff in? But I still kept thinking, it's only the first three chapters, the 36 chapters, loads of other funny stories. They're not going to, they're not going to talk about that. It's, uh, it's the only thing you, you want to talk about. Of course, everyone wants to talk about I would if I'd read a book yeah. like that. People were shocked. Tell me, was shocked my mum and dad. I forgot to tell them. I just forgot that I hadn't ever told them. My dad was so upset. My mum was as well. Um, and then I still remember every interview. And I remember even on the Tuesday the book came out, I thought, oh, I should just say the book's out. And I should just tell them, oh, by the way, this happened to me about the panic attacks. I just thought it would be an easy conversation. But I guess the first time you say it out loud... He's still touching all this pain and shame. Mm. I literally started blubbing on air. It was so awkward and embarrassing. It felt like I had to sit in my own shit. And if you're going to be vulnerable, people think like people think writing a book and putting some vulnerable stuff in or putting a post on Instagram, they think that's vulnerability. No, no, no. Vulnerability is actually standing up and saying to some other people, this happened to me and risking that you might lose control. It might get emotional. Mm. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to say on the radio. But after that, even though it was so uncomfortable, the crying, I just couldn't, I was shaking with the, I guess, you know, just talking about it. After that, I felt this tremendous peace. I felt very tired. I remember going to sleep after that show about four hours, and I felt like I was finally at peace with it all in about eight, eight years, actually. I was so tired, but I had this tremendous sense of inner calm, and interview after interview was like, hey, in your book, you talk, I was like, oh, God, it, it was a long time before it got easier. And then... I had all these, the, the reaction to the book, it was obviously out in the UK and here, I started to get these amazing emails from people who were all like, I never knew, I've also had this, or there was even, what well, I got this amazing email, I still keep it, It's it means so much to me. This guy had been going through a very, very tough time and he'd been thinking about ending his life and he just happened to, he just happened to hear an interview of me talking about my story, getting help and all that. And he decided to actually tell his wife that I'm I'm really, I'm really, I'm almost there. And they went to get, he went and got help. And that meant, oh my God, I was so worried about that book coming out. It has been, those three chapters have changed my life. I get asked now to go and do talks. You'll love this. Three weeks ago, <laughs> I was asked to go and do a talk at a Jewish men's group. They, they were Jewish guys and they did not want to hear me the first five or ten minutes. They made it very clear. Saying I'm like O'Connell, I'm Irish. I'm not a Jewish man. But, and they were all like in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, doctors, surgeons, lawyers. And within about 20 minutes, we had this incredible deep chat. And I just thought, what the heck? And, and do you know what happened at the end? They gave me, it was just like in a little community room, right? I got 
my first ever standing ovation for my Jewish oh, brothers, man. right? That's I've awesome. never got stand-up ovations, right? I've done great gigs, roofed it, as we call it in stand-up, where you lift the roof. Never got a standing ovation. I get up there and talk quite awkwardly to my Jewish brothers about my story. At the end of it, I get an ovation. So I found that actually talking about it has only ever led to connection. I get emails every day now from people who've read the book and I never knew, I thought no one, I was feared that people would judge me. We all feel that, don't we? That's mm. what vulnerability is, being fear for being seen as weak. They have judged me, they've judged me in a different way. All I've found is this connection. So I'm starting to write the new book and it's gonna be awesome. going into more of what the, 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 some of the stuff in the book actually, it's going to be more about going into your heart and how to get unstuck. And I never thought I'd be writing that book. That's awesome. I thought I was going to write a funny book about turning 50 next year. I don't want to write that book. It's like yesterday I was asked to go and talk at the Peter Mac, which is like this massive cancer hospital here, one of the best in the world. I did two talks there. They wanted me to talk about vulnerability and struggle and how to get unstuck. And as I'm talking, I'm thinking, what that? Why am I? I played Nickelback this morning. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm not, there were like two professors in the wings. And I was thinking, is, what we, who's this guy? <laughs> but it's the power uh, of... Storytelling. Storytelling, yeah. right? And actually it's been really... I'm not a professor, but I, I've been paying attention. This thing happened to me and I had to learn some lessons. Well, there's merit in that too because you can talk to... And I'm a massive advocate for um, storytelling, talking to people, but then pushing people to, to see professionals. And that's what 100%, it is. Yeah. But I think storytelling, you don't go and see a professional without hearing something that inspires you to go, fuck me too, I've had them, now let's go see a professional and get this sorted. And I think that's where the, the beauty of someone like yourself has done is it's been like a trigger for people. And even for me reading, you know, I'm really in touch with my emotions now. I see a psychologist monthly to keep on top of myself. Yeah, well I, know I, need to, I know I need to train my brain to keep these things. It's a, it's a gym. You know, I've heard that a million times. But well, until it's two like, weeks ago, I, 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 I'd, 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 I'd urge you to watch that saying that your brain is a gym. There's a lot of talk right there. Okay. And that is true. But... The brain is that that the brain is this amazing thing, right? And but it is one thing; it's an overthinking, strategizing part of your brain. And actually, sometimes you can get you into trouble a lot quicker than you need to be. The real thing is in your heart. The brain chooses good, bad, okay, happy, sad. Your heart doesn't. It actually has room for all of your emotions. All of your emotions are welcome. The brain. It categorizes stuff. It will always steer you away from anything that's going to make you look foolish, scare you, uh, an uncomfortable situation or uncomfortable conversation. Whereas your heart, when you come back down to your heart, the heart doesn't do that. Dropping mm. into the, the, the wisdom of the body, they call it, but dropping into that heart space actually is where your courage is, where your, where your wonder and awe is. The brain is necessary, but we spend a lot of times in our head overthinking, whereas your heart drops you into this kind of, this simplicity. That's where it is. It comes in your heart. Your intuition and joy don't live in your head. They live in your body. Where do you feel that? If I asked you to tell a point in your head, where do you feel what made you cry? It wouldn't be anywhere in your brain. No. Your heart got touched. So if your heart gets touched, that means your joy lives in your heart, right? Mm. So if your joy lives there, intuition lives there. It's all in your body. We spend so much of our time in this overthinking, over-strategizing brain. It actually does a, a disservice from the fullness, the wholeness of who we all are. I really like that. It, um you're so right. And again, it is, that's why I'd prefer to not talk about actually seeing someone, like getting someone properly, because there's one point that you just talk about then in a, a book I was reading that really related to me. And it was talking about being in your head and being able to like call out things when you're thinking, because all these thoughts, you come to think that that is actually you. It's not you. That's just no. something that it's, it's a thought. It doesn't mean that. It's just like synapses firing a billion yeah. times a day. So 
That means then who you are is situational. I'm yeah. angry. I'm happy. Yeah. No, you're experiencing anger. You. Where is the you? The yeah. you is so many different versions of yourself, right? There are so many different parts of you, right? Um, whereas you, we over-identify with these emotions. Uh, how are you, right? I'm really angry. Yeah. No, part of you is feeling angry, right? And then you then when you say, a oh, part of me is angry right now, you're creating already a bit of separation. Separation, yeah. Some space. When he's being, I'm really angry right now. You know, when you find yourself about to say that, oh, I'm really fucked off right now. Yeah, you are. Validate that. But no, it's a part of you that is really fucked off right now. Then it reminds you of a bit of perspective straight away that it's a part of you. It's not all of you. And that getting that air bubble with those little gaps, that's where awareness lies. So you become more of a, just trying to become a bit more of an observer of your emotions mm. rather than letting them be all of you. They are not. That's a story you're telling yourself. I'm mm -hmm. angry right now. Mm. No, you're completely right. I absolutely love it. Emotion is something that's I, I, is my biggest thing at the moment. Reactiveness to those things, and I think that's 100%. where it's just that's sitting in the rest that of our lives. Yeah. I'm still like that. You mm. know, I don't know why I'm sharing this very emotional story, but earlier today I had to tell you that I might not be able to um, come into the um, interview because the cat was missing. Yes, and I've got an 18 year old daughter. She loves me. She flipping really loves that cat, Larry. And uh, Larry was trapped somewhere in the house. He was crying, but we didn't know where he was. So I had to just say to you, I'm really sorry. I know it sounds like a bit from the show. I, I'm not sure. I need to go home to find the cat. Only when I found the cat can I come in and interview. Good news is we found Larry. I don't want any uh, of the podcast listeners, fans of Dylan Friends, wondering that Larry's still out there. He's not. We found Larry. Yeah, we found him. Well, yeah. we were about to strap on our uh, kits and get out there. I was actually going to ring you to ask you if you had a drone to see if I could find. We actually do. We we're going to start putting up some posts and just oh, just get you, some photos. Well, if Larry goes missing again. Yeah, let us know. I'm calling we'll now. Get the community cat out busters. there. Yeah. Yes. Hey, I don't want to get like too much news now because again, we're not the professionals but for you personally is does it come down is it simple enough to come down to a couple of things that you found worked best for you i know you've mentioned breath work a couple of times trees which i'm not taking the piss because trees for me is genuinely something you can laugh I'm about into. that it's no right. no like I'm not even. Laughter is still the, one of the, the best coping strategies for life, right? It just is. I'm actually a bit annoyed that we brushed over the tree thing without actually having a word on it, because I. Now, a friend of mine was has been having a really, really tough month, a uh, couple of months, and I was very lucky that I could kind of see it, and because I've, I've I know what that looks like in body yeah. language and that kind of when you're white knuckling, literally grabbing onto stuff. And we went for a walk and I took him to the trees. We had this beautiful chat under the trees. And I think there is something. Anyway, that's just there what is. works for me. Yeah. If I start telling people, you know, go sit by a tree, maybe that's not the right thing <laughs> yeah, to do. I would say, urge you before that, go and seek professional help. Yeah. Then maybe go sit by a tree. See yeah. what comes up. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we finish up, there is something that I really do want to talk about because I don't want to brush over the, the first three chapters, but I feel like... I want to employ people to please go and read the book and get into it and then the second one, which goes further into it. The rest of the chapters, though, um, around some of these funny stories and things that have happened, highlighting some of your career times because I know, like, reading this book, thinking back now, I'm looking going, how the fuck did some of this shit even happen on air? No, I, like, I still, I mean, I still uh, think, yeah, you know, that is a fair question. Does that keep yeah. you up? No, I'm going, like, like, yeah. A few of the things, like, and I don't know if it's actually the stuff, happened. I mean, honestly, the stuff. So for five years of a breakfast show I did was on this very cool indie station in London called XFM, and that is where Ricky Gervais used to do a weekend show. Wow. Right? Uh, so I did the first every interview of Ricky talking about The Office because he did a Saturday afternoon show, Ricky Gervais. And this was in 2000. Before it came out, I uh, 
Carl Pilkington, who was my producer for five years. The what do you? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. incredible. So at that station, we had like Zane Lowe, who's Mr. Like Apple Music now, was the evening presenter. I did The Breakfast Show for five years. It was an amazing five years of my life before I had kids. It was wild, though, what we got away with. Oh, my God. You can't do radio like that now. <laughs> what were some of the things well, that you were doing? It was just because it was the, the time you could just get away with so much. I remember... I mean, just just like I look back now, like now you'd be cancelled for that. It wasn't even like the language you're using; it was just proper. It was just really, it was just edgy because you yeah. could, and it was the, 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 the times were like that as well. It was just proper freedom. Was that a vasectomy live on air? Is yeah, that my, actually- I actually did my producer vasectomy. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I took part in the procedure. Yes, <laughs> yeah. The surgeon had me. Yeah, it was an amazing. That like, sort of like in a radio of, station, or did you? No, take we had it to go the, to this like okay. you know surgery and yeah. stuff like that and do it. So. Well, I was still doing the show. <laughs> What's that smell? It is like a burnt snag. It's like a burnt sausage. It's sort of the smell it makes of like charred flesh and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, that's true intimacy with another that man. That is true intimacy with another man. Another one it where... Actually, it ruined our relationship a bit because whenever I saw him, I didn't see the man. I just saw that, you know, yeah. that area. Yeah. The Is it true around your EP or producer wanting or encouraging you to offer up a kidney live... No, we had this crazy consultant um, that used to come in twice a year and he told me that it would be a great thing for me to, you know, really cement how much I cared about this by offering up one of my kidneys. I went, but they haven't asked me for a kidney. So what I'm just meant to say, hey, according to that, if you you know anyone who needs a kidney, have one of mine. And I remember thinking, what if they just stop listening? I want that kidney back, right? I said, I need those two kidneys. I mean, I like, I like having listeners, but I, I need my vital yeah, organs, yeah, right? Yeah. Why would you want it? Then it was another one was like, go and do the show for a day from a cancer ward. I was like, why would you do that? He goes, oh, no, no, it'd be really feel-good radio. I went, no one's going to... And it said, then you, it goes, then you could turn it into a competition, like various cancer wards could ring in and compete for it. I went, so what? I'm going to say, sorry, that ward, you know, it's not oh, going to be you. So no, we're not, we're not doing that. That is so out of, yeah. 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 Um, do you have any highlights of, of your radio career back in, in the UK? Does anything stand out to you going, wow, that was amazing? Like even just before you're dropping, like doing things on Coldplay's planes and jets and stuff. No, those, there aren't any surreal the those are like what bits like you kind of like, your scissor reel that you can yeah. tell people. They yeah. go, oh, wow, to impress someone. But, to be really honest to me, right, it's it's the ongoing joy of it, yeah. right? It's not like I'm fudging the answer. I couldn't pick out one thing. I think it would be really sad if it was just one thing. It would feel like quite a brittle thing that like after 24 years of all the, the idea I've done. No, it's still the ongoing joy of what it is. I don't know what tomorrow's show is going to be mm. like. Um and I love that. I also love the fact that anything could happen today. A small, I could overhear a snippet of a conversation. Some might say something. Uh, we got an email the other day from a listener. We were talking about house sitters from hell. And she was saying how she was asked to look after a friend's guinea pig. And uh, she went round one day and this thing, it, it died. But she was a nurse. She thought, well, I'll just try and bring it back to life. Because it was guinea pig, she didn't know how to do CPR. So she got a straw. She was drinking a, a, an iced coffee. She got the straw and put it into Gizmo, the guinea pig's mouth, <laughs> sealed the mouth shut in its nostrils and started to, to inflate, you know, um, do CPR. Gizmo came back to life, right? But how amazing. So anyway, tomorrow I want to know, have you saved an animal's life or did the animal save your life? So, yeah, I love taking something that's happened or someone tells me something like, like even the missing pets. I'll be talking about that tomorrow. Tomorrow, Larry yeah. came back within two hours. What's your missing pet story? But the neighbour went yeah. to me, oh, yeah, yeah, but uh, we lost our cat. I didn't come back for six months. I went, where had it been? 
the cat came back six months yeah. later. <laughs> where on earth had it been for six months? Where where was he? Was he having a? Did he shack up with another family for six months and was having a life with them? Yeah. Then got bored and just came back. You know, like dads that just disappear and then come back one day six months later. Where the cat? Where the cat been for six months? But they were so different. Aussie like, hey, he's came back. Went, yeah. well, aren't you? Didn't you ever wonder where he been? He goes, no, I think he just got bored. He just got bored. The cat got bored. Where's the cat get bored off? <laughs> Fuck it, I'm done with these suckers. I'm off now. I'll go back to the other people. So yeah, I that that ongoing joy for me. Yeah, that's the same as the first show. It's still the same there now. I so, love that. And whatever you do, right? I know I'm sort of making it sound like oh, all you got to do is find out. You know what you're calling is do that. It's all it's all gravy. It isn't. There's still days where there's still many mornings where I drive to work, sit in the car park. You know, at half five ago, I don't feel very funny right now. Yeah. You know, something's happened at home or there was a period two weeks ago where my mum was rushed to hospital and she had to have a pacemaker fit. And I was really, I was making phone calls because the time difference back to the UK. Half five was was obviously a different time in the, in, in the UK and suddenly I was having these really worrying phone calls about my mum. Then I'm looking at my watch going, I'm on air in 20 minutes and got to be funny for people. And it's hard. There's still going to be times where... No matter what you do, no matter how much it means to you, it is going to be hard. You're not going to feel like doing it. And those are the times where you have to, I guess, go into your heart. Not your mind. You need to do this. You need to be on. That's like to bring on a panic attack. I need to go into my heart, remind myself life's an adventure. And there are ups and downs right now. I'm in a strange world with mum and the pacemaker. Right. Okay. But life is still an adventure. Tough things can happen and you can still carry on as well. It's both. It's the and. That's it. My mum's having a pacemaker and 20 minutes time, I'm going to go and start doing something that I absolutely love. Whereas before that five minutes, it's like, I don't feel very funny. I've got to be funny. Oh my God, am I having panic attack? All that. That's head thoughts, isn't mm. it? That chatter up here. Yeah. When I just thought, yeah, my mum's having a tough time. God, that is that is scary. Now she's calling it, naming it, and allowing to feel that. Yeah, that is actually tough. And they're going, and... Ah, oh, 20 minutes time. Thank God I've got this live. I'm going to go on the radio show and start that. I love working with Jack and Pats. I wonder what today's show is going to, going to be for us. It's, it's, it's having that, that extra, that air gap I keep coming back to and that the and, and not just one thing. I um, really appreciate that analogy because it's something that today, even as you are telling that, I still went to the head. Like, yeah, so you were there me too. and I was thinking you were going to say, sometimes you just got to fucking go, let's get some grit and just fucking get on with and it. And look, there are times where you do actually need to, you know, there's a thing I've learned the last couple of years, sometimes, right, you need to stop having the conversation you're having in your head. Mm. You actually just need to stop it. It's not going anywhere. All that stuff, like, I don't feel very funny. I don't think I'm going to be very funny today. I'm really worried about mama. I actually just have to, sometimes just go, enough, shut up. Yeah. Right, you do it to yourself. Yeah. You just need to stop now, go and walk into that radio studio. Just start, and then it's the momentum starts to the act of risk, courage, belief, and trust. Trust in yourself that you will be able to get through it. Yep. You will be able to walk on. Sometimes you really are just that walking on. You're literally in your own life on your hands and knees, but trust that you will. You are carrying on. You are carrying on. It's this. It's the overthinking paralyzes you. Definitely. And it makes you quite lonely up there as well. And it's having it's having range. We had Tom Harkin on from Tomorrow Man. I'm not sure if you've heard oh, of him. Yeah, they're yeah. doing incredible things. And, mm. and this is one of those ones where he said something to me and I've taken it so literally but into every factor in my life that I now talk about range, just in range and how to do like range yeah, yeah, as a that person. That book's incredible. That incredible. book range is range. amazing. So I haven't read that book. I've yeah. that to, to the, the Kindle. But range in terms of um, dealing with issues or celebrating things, whatever it is, 
in how to deal with things. Like sometimes you do go to your heart, sometimes you go to your head, mm. sometimes you need to go, fuck up, let's get this done. Yeah, you do. So having range in hate, there's not going to be one time or one certain way that situation is going to go. It's having different skills that you can bring and having different times where you need different shit to, to pull from. Yeah, it is. And there are sometimes where you just, my dad used to have these phrase. And I remember when I, when I said, hey, I'm really worried that Australia isn't going to work out, dad. And my dad isn't a big sort of, big on the old um, emotional chit chat. He's a lovely man, but he said, oh, sometimes in life, son, you need to put your balls in a jar and go for it. And I actually understood what he, I, I don't still understand what yeah. he means, by the way, about putting your balls in the jar and go for it. But I kind of, I think I understand <laughs> what he means about you. I don't, I don't even know, but I understand there must be something about you just need to, when I was a kid and I talk about the book, I was obsessed with Evil Knievel, you know, and I look back now and I was, he's actually pretty shit. He fell off that bike a lot, the other side of those gangs. Yeah. He was a terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> yeah, devil. Wasn't great. But the excitement and he, hey, that commitment, it was just like, he must have known most of my bones are broken from all these other times. I just, it failed. But his, it was all about the the journey getting across and the excitement of, can he do it? Can he do it? My God, hey, he tried, he tried. And I still think sometimes you need to rev up that motorbike as my dad said, put your balls to jump yeah. and actually just go for it. And actually it's that thing of believing that Trusting that things will come up to, to meet your courage. Yeah, that, that things will come up around that invisible. I love the thought sometimes of there being inv invisible and visible help. The visible help, the people you've got around you, right? Your wife and the, and the team here. But sometimes there's those other invisible things that come along, don't they, that happen. You go, oh, God, I needed that today. I really needed that little bit of support. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. Hey, we could talk all day. I, um, I really appreciate it everything i've loved chatting to you and right. i, I want to applaud something right i yeah. wish at your age i was as open-hearted as yeah. you i would have had i would have had a kinder time to myself the last couple of years mm. it's taken me i'm a little bit older than you a lot older than you you are you, you the, what you do with this and how you help people inspire people you're not telling me that that's just the life of just incredible service to be able to mm. do that right you're learning and you're making your learning part of the the show and just who you are is what you're doing. There are so many people in this kind of work, my line and yours as well, who are a lot of talk, but they're they're not. It's not who they are. It's who they're trying to convince you they are. You are a hundred percent authentic. Is an overused word, but I'm telling you what, you are who you say you are, and who you're open with your vulnerabilities. And my God, it's reminded me seeing how. Seeing you, um, how you've been opened up, it's opened up my heart, actually. I needed you today, so thank you. No, I, I needed you, um, and I appreciate it. It's been incredible. I'm going to be oh, – look, I, I really – without doubt, um, we're going to have to be friends now, unfortunately. I For you, I, I don't you really – I've the got, corner. I'm going to take you to a walk around the Botanical Gardens. No, so I'm far from it. I love it there on the trees there. I'll take you to my favourite bench. Do you play golf? Sounds like a threat, um, especially an older guy. <laughs> Do you play? Do you, do I'll take you to my favourite bench. Please. I, I meant that in a nice, innocent way. I, taking two young men I've met. Do you play golf? Uh, I've retired. Okay, no golf. No, I, I, I moved here to Australia. I started to have lessons. It's a talk about ego. It's that's, a horrific that's my, sport to try and learn. It is, but you've got to look at the trees. That's well, what, yeah, I was in the tree trying yeah, to find my ball. That's what I mean. That's why I you, wasn't hanging out with my buddies. They were like, you know, having a great time. I'm there left behind in the trees and hedges okay. looking for my balls. All right, we'll just go to that private park bench. Let's and you go and to that bench. We can have that chat. I appreciate it, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Thank Deal, you. and Cheers. friends. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at producer.com. Thanks for tuning in. Ilyxx.